Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we're going to welcome Rob Flanagan, who has been making podcasts longer than I've been listening to them, and that is saying quite a bit. So let's get started with Rob right away. On mic today, we have Rob Flanagan, one of the co-hosts of the Popping the Cherrywood Podcast. How are you this fine day? I am doing lovely. It is the 21st of September, and I don't know if you remember the 21st night of September and every other thing that that song goes. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Fair enough, fair enough. So I love, I mean, the fact that you, you have a successful podcast, and this is not your first. You have been in this for quite some time, since way before it was cool. It's I've been podcasting now for 10 years. Uh, it was three years for the first show. And then I did about five years as professional uh, podcast guest, Rob Flanagan. And then I started another podcast up about four years ago. Cool. So what drives you to it? I like the and it's hard to say that it's underground now it's hardly underground anymore that they're heavy monetization and a lot of big names in it but i do like how it is the closest thing we have right now to almost like pirate radio of the sorts uh back from the 70s and 80s it's still underground and i love how each one has its own niche design like you can basically find a podcast for every topic for better or for worse true and that I mean, even like I said, it gets big and there are big names and big money in it. But at its core, it costs nothing to do it. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. If you have the will, you can just get one out there. And that is really it's not just the the idea behind pirate radio. It's the idea behind the Internet as a whole is that it's not any harder for me to do it than it is for Microsoft or IBM to do it. Right. And that's that's really, I said, what the Internet should be all about. And I love the different levels of it, too. Like, you have the guys who are in their basement putting together a show. Uh, We have a mutual acquaintance from our college days who Mm. actually is now a professional podcast producer. Who would have ever thought that that was a job? But, yeah, (laughs) that's his job now. I've gone to several podcast festivals over the years, and it's great seeing the different levels that you have. You have the big league guys intermixing with the uh, little guys and helping each other out because there's still that sense of community within the podcast community that you can get away with multiple levels all doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the the biggest hurdles you have to get over when you first get into the idea is that, you know, there's this old idea that, if you were watching Leno, you weren't watching Letterman. And if you were watching Letterman, you weren't watching Leno. And and that mindset breaks apart in the podcast realm because right. just because I'm your fan doesn't mean you can't be mine. We can help each other out and benefit from it. Correct. And I think one of the advantages for podcasting definitely came from the advent of cell phones and offices letting us actually have our headphones at work and it reached a point it's like well i can only listen to my music so much mm-hmm. let me just listen to like-minded people and talking about topics i love like for me every monday is x-men day every mm-hmm. thursday is star trek day you have your different uh cast that just fit into that feel for whenever you need it i'm sorry wait a minute so you're saying that 
every day isn't Star Trek Day because that's a foreign concept to me. It, it... I just find that it's easier to line every all my Star Trek shows up the same day Mission Log puts their show up. Sure, I'm just messing around. With you, man. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> But that's an interesting point. I mean, that that's why I do my most of my podcasts is that I drive anywhere from 10 hours a week to it, it's been upwards of 25, depending on what week it is and what I have to do. There's so much time behind the wheel. And it's the only thing you can do is listen to stuff and podcasts. Right. You can get quantity of content instantly. Yes. Like the other day, I was just like. Has anyone done a Columbo podcast? Because I'm a huge fan of Columbo. And there it is. I found a group of Scottish guys put together this Columbo podcast where they covered every single episode. I'm like, well, I'm now listening to this. Wow. And there are literally podcasts about podcasts. Yes. Yes. I've been on a podcast about podcasts. It was really weird, but, you know, and that podcast about podcasts was reviewed by another podcast. And it occurs to me that's literally what we're doing right now is making is a podcast. Yeah. About, yes. I did not even plan that, so I apologize to anybody who's slapping their heads right now. It's like this is a podcast about podcasts. Yep. 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 <laughs> but I mean, it, you do this because you have a love for genre fiction, genre uh, movies, uh, just offbeat stuff in general. It, it's it's a conversation you and I have had go, going back decades now. Right. I've, I've loved just being able to throw something out there and nine times out of 10, you get it. And, and there's that look of recognition like, yeah, I've seen that movie with only three other people have seen as well. That's pretty cool. Uh, last week for our show, we did a movie called Riders of the Storm. It came out in 1986. Uh, it was um, Michael J. Pollard in it. So no one has actually seen this movie, and I absolutely adore this film. So I managed to get my co-host Manny, and the premise of the show we do now is basically Manny has never seen anything. You name a movie, he's not seen it. So we uh, get together, we barbecue, we bake, we get food together, and just get food drunk while watching these old movies. Mm -hmm. And like every now and then, we'll just watch something neither one of us have heard of, and it's absolutely terrible, or... Neither one of us has heard of, and it's like, this is the greatest thing ever. How have I missed this my entire life? Mm -hmm. And if those are both treasures in their own unique way. Right. I, it's, it's bad movies when you find them and you realize that somebody actually set out to do this and they meant the best from it within the means they had. That, that can be magic. Oh, I love it when it's low budget and they're trying. It's a lot better than when it's big budget and they fail. Because mm -hmm. that's when you go, it's like, well, a lot of people had eyes on this and I don't know where it went wrong, but it did. There was, um, I had Rick Sloan from Hobgoblins on a couple episodes back. And he said that one of his, best uh, reviews for the movie was that somebody said they clearly had a budget and yet they screwed up. I'm thinking, <laughs> did, did we watch the same movie? Really? Yeah. There, that, there was no budget for that film. Yeah, that was your complaint. They misspent their money. Okay. That's what you want to hang your hat on. No. Nah, and then you hear like cult classics such as the room, you know, and it's like, no one knows where the money came from. There was a ton of money being thrown around we know that it cost a lot of money to make and yet you look at it and you're like 
okay, I can see you wasted the money, but no one said stop. <laughs> and then you have stuff like with it obviously had a little bit of a budget, but they just had marketing power, things like Masters of the Universe. Yes, yes. Which is one of those movies that you, you had to be there to appreciate it. Oh, I still appreciate it. And I've also watched Cyborg, the unofficial sequel to it, because they were making a sequel to Masters of the Universe and then just went, no, we're, we're not doing this. And I'm confused. I thought I heard that there was a Masters of the Universe movie coming out this year, and then I haven't heard anything since. The so, only thing I've, I've heard that the, the new series by Kevin Smith is in development, but I didn't hear anything about a movie. No, I remember hearing about a movie being in production, and it was supposed to be out in December of this year. Now, the last I heard of that was in March of this year. So I don't know if it was canceled or postponed or what, but apparently we are getting a Masters of the Universe movie. Well, there's been a huge Masters of the Universe marketing push this year, especially at San Diego Comic-Con. So they're they're gearing up big time. Apparently, if this is the time to strike the Masters of the Universe nostalgia bug. It's like, well, we've done Transformers. Mm-hmm. We went too much into Transformers, but then we brought it back with Bumblebee. Mm-hmm. And G.I. Joe is due to come around again. Mm-hmm. And I could really go for the rumors I keep hearing about Mask, because mm-hmm. I loved Mask back in the day. And so did I. So, yeah, the iron is there for Masters of the Universe, because who didn't love He-Man? Mm-hmm. Even the kids was... in Ghostbusters were cheering for He-Man. Mm-hmm. He-Man was, was probably the first really good action figure toy line. It was... Just every figure had its own unique f- feature that made that figure special. You wanted every f- figure because something was different about it. And I'm not saying that was the first time they'd ever done that, but it was the first time they really did it and, and did it that well. Actually, I'm about 80% sure it is the first time they actually did it because mm-hmm. they were fighting against the law where you basically couldn't make a cartoon that was really just an ad for a toy. Right. And they're like, no, we're going to make a toy based off of a cartoon, and it was Masters of the Universe that was, like, the first big time that they did that. And within a year, we had G.I. Joe, Transformers, mm-hmm. GoBots, whatever we could get. Right. And, I mean, it's like, pr- prior to that, that was only a few years after the heyday of the Mego figure, which were great for their era. I personally am not a big fan of, of the style, but they they were high-quality but they didn't have unique features. They just had unique outfits. Right, right. And it, then Mego was Barbie for guys. Yeah. Because all the base figures were exactly the same. It was the costumes that were changing. Yeah. But and, I, and then, then we actually got into the, the molded plastic and the unique the action figures, the mechanical features, the accessories. Thunder Punch, which mm-hmm. put in the uh, blast caps, which I mm-hmm. still love the smell of those blast caps. <laughs> yes, you, you, you goes right back there. You, you, it's right. in your brain. And ecto, uh, any sort of slime had that unique scent to it as well. Oh, yeah. And toys back then, they loved their slime. You know, besides mm-hmm. Ghostbusters, which was like, buy all the slime you could get. He-Man also had, it's a slime pit. All right. Mm-hmm. So we're covering our toys in slime. Later to realize we are completely devaluing them. <laughs> yeah. 
you had to scrub that stuff off really quickly to make sure it was clean. And if it got on the carpet, well, that you were in trouble. Ruined. Mm-hmm. Now, I wonder why slime fell out of fashion for so long. Hmm. I I think it just because it stained everything it touched. Yeah, his parents got pissed off. Yeah. And then it became gack. And mm-hmm. I think there was another type of gack, like a sponge type. But that was yeah. after I stopped being into those. Yeah, likewise. There was that weird period where you're like, okay, I love toys, I love toys, I love toys. And then you're like, I can't love toys. And then you turn 18, you're like, no, no, I love toys. Give me more. <laughs> it's like, I'm an adult and I still love uh, Transformers. Fine. That's my life now. Yeah. That, that weird feeling of being in college. And it's like, I got 20 bucks and nothing else to do. And there's some action figures here. Yeah. It's, it's a bad combination. Especially it was uh, where we were located. There was that flea market nearby mm-hmm. and they had all those classic figures just there. I'm like, yep. Here we go. We're doing this. And that that was about the time that eBay was around and it was big, but it wasn't like everything was a ripoff. You could get good deals on eBay as long as you kept looking. Right. If you knew so, what you were doing back in the day, you could get mm-hmm. – uh, I believe there was a guy in our dorm who had the USS Flag, which was the giant G.I. Joe uh, aircraft carrier. And he mm-hmm. kept it under his bed because it was six feet long. <laughs> I did not know this. Yeah. Yeah, that – he was actually right down the hall from you, too. <laughs> I did not freaking know this. That is so yeah. cool. He had the flag. I mean, that, that I was doing a lot of superpower customs at the time just because that was the thing. And, oh, to have had 3D printers at that point and skipped oh, the – Oh, man. If, if we had 3D printers – that would have been an amazing time because I, the amount of bootlegging we would be doing of action figures and stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I have a clear memory of when Batman Beyond: Return of Joker came out, and it was uh, it, it was coming to DVD at the time, mm-hmm. and they quickly pulled it because mm-hmm. it was deemed too violent, so they wanted to create a PG version. Yeah, But we managed to get the PG-13 version, Mm -hmm. so I remember hanging out in the library, bootlegging copies of that (laughs) just to pass around the dorm because everyone loved the not-for-retail version of that movie, Mm -hmm. which a couple years later they finally did release. Indeed. And I have never seen the PG rating, the PG-13 rating on a movie in such large font as it was in that particular movie. Yes, it and was like it was well deserved too. It was like that Warner Brothers was saying, "Don't bitch, okay? Seriously, do not buy this movie and bitch at us." Yes. Uh, yeah, that was one of the better Batman movies they had released. I, I would say, it, it, of all time, it's in the top five. I would put it up there too. The animated Batman movies. Especially uh, Mask of the Phantasm is a classic. Sub-Zero. There are just so many great animated DC movies out there. And I'll stop at that. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a tangent that could take a whole new podcast. Correct. And uh, – go ahead. Uh, and I know, like, next month they are releasing, like, Teen Titan Go meets the Teen Titans, which is the same exact cast playing both parts. 
mm-hmm. and I'm really looking forward to that as well. Yeah, I, I as well. Uh, Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go, I was definitely up and down on that. I liked the original run of the show when it went to the Go phase. I checked out in a hurry, but the the new movies they put out look like they're they're really fun. They are really fun, and I just accept the fact it's like okay, this is definitely more cartoony, but then that's the direction Cartoon Network went in, and mm-hmm. but there's still really good stuff on the Cartoon Network. So, mm-hmm. and once I start watching, I'm like, okay, I like this. Yeah, and it's I, I, I'm now at the point where it's like if I'm going to watch stuff like that, it benefits me to be able to watch it with my daughter, yes. who's five, and it's like right. okay, I'm not going to show her Return of the Joker. It's it's that that's not the place that's we're at not right happening. now. No. Right. And and that's we like our high level mature comic movies and comic stories. And, and that's that's great. But we can't forget that this is who these are meant for. Yes. It's kids. It's for kids. And and to, to lose sight of that is really doing the kids a disservice. The kids, the people who will be having this conversation 20 years from today need those Teen Titans go movies right now. Right. Like, because we we like to ignore the fact that, you know, we had them, too. Mm-hmm. You know, we had the Care Bear movies. We had mm-hmm. the Transformer movie that traumatized all of us. Uh-huh. <laughs> but that that was our entry point. And kids today, they need their entry points as well. And yes, it's Teen Titans Go. It is mm-hmm. Steven Universe. It's everything that's happening on Cartoon Network. And mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. Yeah. I'll uh, watch Gumball. That- <laughs> doesn't have to be my cup of tea that that's okay yeah um there there are certain con cartoons i'm not gonna name names that i just will not even look at right and that's okay yeah but they're not for me yeah but if i get something out of them and get some enjoyment hey good on that yeah so the the transformers movie now let's let's go back to that a second because there's something i've wondered and it just seems like a giant tactical plot hole that just never gets addressed. The very beginning of the movie, when the Decepticons attack, and Daniel and Hot Rod are sitting there fishing. Right. And they're, you know, suddenly it's like, oh man, what's going to happen to Daniel? Is he going to be okay? And Sam Witwicky is, is, you know, they don't know what's going on with him. And and I just think, you know, you're you have a war zone going on here. You have a literal child in the middle of it. Shouldn't right. somebody say, hey, let's take the most useless Transformer there is. I'm going to nominate Bumblebee. And his job is just to get Daniel as far the fuck away from this place as he can. That's true. We didn't have Scooter yet. Now, it's like, shouldn't there just, wouldn't that be the best move for everybody? It's just to get one guy to get him out of there. Well, no, because then we can get the figure of him in the robot suit himself, which... Honestly, when he transforms later in the movie, I'm surprised that didn't break every bone in his body when he did it. Yeah, it, it, he, he literally turns into a question mark at that point. Right. But, uh, like, the Transformers movie was the first time we actually had the time jump, too. It went from 1984 to 2005, and all of a sudden Sam has a kid. Mm-hmm. And we have to accept this kid and all these brand new Transformers who have just appeared because these will be our Transformers from now on because everyone we love by at the beginning of this movie isn't there at the end. No. And you bought all their toys and here yep. are new characters for you to buy. Right. Now we got Rodimus Prime, who is mm-hmm. 
I kind of looks like a RV. Winnebago. Yeah, it's an RV. <laughs> this doesn't really look like an RV. I know it's supposed to be, but it's well, it's like it's supposed to be a truck, but I've never seen a truck that looks like that. So no. it's an RV, I guess. It, yeah, but it it has like a a front end that looks like a like a Ferrari and right. a. Because he's Not, still a hot rod. Yeah. You don't mix hot rod and truck. I mean, yes, in Japan, a couple decades later, they do. They do that now. But still, it's like, I I don't understand hot rod. But yeah, honestly, around 2005 is when they started making those car, those trucks in Japan. So, hey, they saw the future. It's not the first time. Yep. It's... Odd that Transformers always had that mix of really realistic designs with designs that you could barely tell what it even was. And as kids, we just accepted this. Cup, he's a pickup truck. Really? (laughs) Because he could just as well be a backhoe as far as I'm concerned. I'm trying to remember. There was one guy who was a futuristic car, which meant he was a hover car. He had no wheels. I'm like, Jazz? I what? Blur? I don't think it was jazz. I think it might have been Blur. Okay. And it was just like, okay, I cannot... Th- this is a thing? Oh, this turns into this? I don't. I cannot recognize what this other thing is. Mm-hmm. But uh, all the G1s, the earlier generation one, you, it's like, okay, that's a jet. That's a mm-hmm. truck. That's a Porsche. That's a Lamborghini. The uh, ambulance is kind of weird. <laughs> I mean, now we know it was because they were buying different toy lines from Japan and just meshing them all together for the American audience. But yes, they, <laughs> wow, yes, it's, when, when you have something like that, that, that's it's a pretty genius business model when you think about it. And the number of toy companies that pulled that off, too. It's like, all right, we need we need something now because He-Man said we can have a cartoon advertisement. So we need the toys out next week. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll just remodel all these previous toys and make a story to go with it. Uh, the same goes with G.I. Joe. It's like, all right, so we got the figures, we got the toys. Somebody write the backstory to them. It doesn't matter what the backstory is, just write it on the back of the box. Yeah. And if you look at that first run of G.I. Joe's, I mean, compared to what they would be even just a year or so later, you started off with the basic, and I'm talking about the, the three-inch figures, of course. Right. It's just basic toy soldier figures that any kid would have played with going back to World War II. And then, like, two years later, they were Sergeant space... Slaughter. Yeah. Us. Ninjas from space. The toxic warriors and... and a guy who plays football and he has football grenades. Yeah, okay? because that makes sense. And that this military unit had no dress code whatsoever. I mean, it was like dumb as you are. Yes. And no and, sense and, of body armor either. No, no. They, they, they were just disposing of those chests. And, and and if you were riding around in a tank, you just stuck your head out and waved. I mean, it, it was all right. You weren't worried about getting shot or anything. Well, don't worry. The blue lasers didn't hurt as much as the red ones did. Apparently not. <laughs> and I would wonder, how could a military unit be composed of pro athletes and daredevils and ninjas? And then I realized it's basically just an updated version of Teddy Roosevelt's Rough Riders. Basically, it is. Yes. 
it, it, they they're not a real military unit. They're more of like the reserves. But mm-hmm. if the reserves got control of, you know, if the reserves actually did take on terrorists, yeah, <laughs> with <Terrorists>. weather machines, <laughs> terrorists, weather machines, eco people. Groups that are bent on just polluting for pollution's sake. I mean, they're not trying to turn a profit or anything. They just want to dump oil in the ocean because fuck it. Well, you know, and that's what got us to Captain Planet. Mm-hmm. One of the best written shows of our childhood. Exactly. I, exactly. I, that, that was a show I watched because it was like I was up that early and I knew the good stuff was coming on. But even at the time, it was not a good show. Oh, no, no. It's like, and be sure to use heart. Because that's mm-hmm. one of the primal forces. <laughs> and, of course, the, the kid with the heart has a monkey because, you know, that's need a monkey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the monkey doesn't get a ring. No, no, no. Because what would it be? The power of feces? <laughs> <laughs> By your powers combined. Oh, oh no. No. Ah, well, see, he's Captain Planet. That's compost. <laughs> It is. So it's not like that's a terrible. See, that's how dumb the show was. Is that the feces power actually would make sense in context? What's his power? Oh well, he throws poo from his ring. Okay, I'm I'm just gonna leave now. Because <laughs> the other kids, they their abilities, like, well, I've got a fire ring and I can spew fire from the fire ring, and I got mm-hmm. a water ring, I control water. So what does the heart guy do? Change people's minds? Behold, empathy power. And, yeah, and, and these kids, they, they get into a situation they can't handle. They Their powers combine into Captain Planet. Captain Planet comes in, gets his ass kicked, right. and then the powers go back to them and they finish the job. Captain Planet is completely useless in every episode. But I think that was the lesson they were trying to teach us. Is, you know, it, it's us who can save the world. Don't rely on, you know, some superpower. <laughs> and, and that's all well and good. But when you rely on the superpower to not rely on the superpower, it's a bit of a mixed message. Look, Whoopi Goldberg said I could do this. <laughs> so that's all that matters. Fair enough. And, you know, I got to admit, I was told only I could prevent forest fires. And I have just been falling down on that. Sorry. Well, I'll be honest, I have not started a forest fire in my life, so I'm going to go with I'm just still doing good. All right. Good on you. I've got to take some pointers there. Yeah. Although if these lantern flies become more of a problem, I may change my stance. Just burn it all down. It's fine. The trees will grow back. That's what they do. <laughs> They've done it for millions of years. They'll grow back. Just get rid of these bugs. So what do you have on the pike now? What are you working on anything special? Uh, well, this week is a very big week in Philadelphia esports, which apparently now I've somehow become part of. <laughs> so I don't know how that worked out. I dressed up as gritty at a at a show, and all of a sudden, I become part of the Philadelphia Fusion. <laughs> Awesome. Congratulations. But, uh, this week we have the groundbreaking of the uh, arena. It is the first purpose built esport arena in the United States. And uh, later this week we have the finals for the Overwatch League. And that will also be in Philadelphia, even though Philadelphia is not going. Sad face emoji. Bummer. Yep. 
But to have a facility like that is pretty exciting. It, it is, and it's the first purpose built for this. And I'm hoping that it actually brings in more video game experiences into Philadelphia and Pennsylvania as a whole. Pennsylvania is slowly becoming a major spot in electronic video game sports. The Houston, sorry, the Harrisburg Storm mm-hmm. is, you know, they just won all the championships last year. I met the team a couple weeks ago. Uh, our Alamarder, uh to sales now has a Overwatch team and a League of Legends team. And I'm willing to drive up to the campus just to watch these guys play some of these other local teams. So we are slowly becoming more involved in video game entertainment in Pennsylvania. And I hope that also brings in some video game jobs to Pennsylvania. Now, to put this in context, you and I went to college. I mean, in a cornfield, in a cornfield. (laughs) In 2000, 2001, and at the time, you were organizing GoldenEye tournaments on the old N64, and you'd get a bunch of systems and controllers together, and and this has been an an idea that you've been generating for that long, almost 20 years ago. We also did uh, land parties of StarCraft there as well. That was Mm -hmm. also a big thing going on with the StarCraft land parties. We would have video game tournaments in uh, Hector's room all the time. So it's really cool to see video games actually becoming something. Mm -hmm. Like, they are now a legitimate form of entertainment, uh, thanks to YouTube, Twitch TV. Like, I'm a huge addict of Twitch television. It's great. And I just love watching the growth of the video game environment. And yes, I'm pushing 40 at the moment. I don't care that I'm still really big into video games. And even if I'm bad at said video games, like I am awful, so bad at Overwatch, it's not even funny. And yet here I am, fan of the month. But but it's great to see this growth of new entertainment growing it's as we were discussing podcasts earlier it's great to see the paradigm shift of something new hitting everywhere at the same mm-hmm. time and pennsylvania is the ideal place for it and and i don't know if anybody's caught on to this but our best foods can all be eaten with one hand with one hand yes so you you don't have to stop gaming you just have to kind of take a breather and shove that cheesesteak in your mouth or that fold that slice of pizza and keep going here all you need is your wawa coffee your wawa gobbler and some tasty cakes and you are fine that's mm-hmm. all you need in life well see but then see now we're missing a a key key sponsorship issue here is that we could have the Sheets team versus the Wawa team. I believe Sheets is actually a sponsor for the Harrisburg Storm because okay. th- that Sheets is bigger out in Harrisburg. And now the Storm, because they won the championship, are getting major sponsorship deals, which is also something really weird to watch is the development of sponsorship te- uh, over the years. Uh, the Overwatch League is now two years old, and I've watched it go from its sponsors being Sour Patch Kids to Budweiser. They've mm-hmm. gone, so it's all of a sudden it went from, you know, candies to cars to beer companies to Coca-Cola to all the major names are now trying to go, okay, we want a piece of this too. So that's, 
and he that, did it in two years. Mm-hmm. And it, like I said, Philadelphia is now building a stadium for this. This is, and I'm all for it. That's going to be great for the community. Yes. What I have to wonder is if you're talking about treating video games in the same way that we treat professional athletic sports with all the same, you know, merits and and challenges, would there not be a a benefit to having esports around games that have been around so long that people have been practicing them literally all their lives to have esports around things like Super Mario Brothers, Tetris, uh, even combat, if you wanted to go that route. So people have decades worth of skill in these games. There actually are for some of these. You'll see a lot of charity events for something known as Games Done Quick. And they do time, uh, they do speed runs of Super Mario Brothers all the time just to see who can get the best time. And then there are charities that benefit from this. So we are seeing more and more of the older games having such situations, but uh, games that are more multiplayer based, like Smash Brothers could do it, but it's mm-hmm. really hard to do it for Mario when it's a single player game. When it's mm-hmm. a single player, the most you can do is who can ever get the best time. Mm-hmm. But we, it, it, it's weird. We had the wizard back in 89, I believe. Mm-hmm. And that just seemed so far fetched of a video game conference in Las Vegas. And now it's commonplace. Mm-hmm. So we are seeing the older games and as such. They do have their tournaments as well. Uh, Street Fighter is also a very big one, and people play Street Fighter 2 as well. But the growth of what we are seeing as, say, the Overwatch League, the Call of Duty League, the, the bigger ones that are now being aired on ESPN or ABC, uh, which is mind-boggling that this still happens that it is on major television networks we are starting to see it hit some of the older games as well awesome and it just speaks to the fact that you know in this day and age we're getting video games that that the the sport of the common man for lack of a better way of putting it they get big and then you as an individual just become a huge fan and become part of the entire organization in some way or another, even if for just a fan of the month sort of thing. That is, that's really, it's a neat way that fandom has taken it, that you can actually get involved in things that you enjoy that much. It it is because it is still small enough that you can actually talk to the players. It's small Mm -hmm. enough that there are members of the organization where I can just, uh, tweet at them and they'll message me right back and we know each other when i see them in a couple of days over at this over at the groundbreaking for this for the stadium there are people who will know me on site so that's it's cool that it is still small enough that it is personable while still growing to be a major sport that is it's fascinating i said how we would have been here 20 years ago Nobody could have seen this. There are so many things that exist now that 20 years ago are mind-boggling. I mentioned Mm -hmm. Tom earlier. He is now a professional podcast producer. We know we went to college with people who are now major influencers on YouTube and work for Mm -hmm. 
uh, Geek and Sondry, which is a major nerd-based system. They work for Nerdist. Mm-hmm. It, these these are. There were no podcasts. There were no esports. None of that existed 20 years ago, and yet now we are all still involved in these new forms of media that just are mind-boggling that they now exist. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder. It's like, all right, in 20 years, what are we going to see next? What haven't we seen coming? What I really see, and I'm not entirely sure the mechanics of this, but I really see that we're going to take YouTube to the next level and not necessarily YouTube, the company itself, although they're, they're probably going to be the ones to do it, but you're going to have a, a case where anybody who wants to broadcast something just does it. And it just becomes a, a matter of plugging in whatever content you want and queuing it up. And like to, to give an example, uh, say my nephew has a soccer game in another state and I want to see it, but you know, there's no way I can do it. There's, there, there's going to be somebody at that school who programs in YouTube to, to stream his game and I can watch it from my living room and, and show his grandparents that. And, and that's that's going to be the content of the future. And I'm not saying that, that, you know, production value content is going to go away. Certainly not. But it's going to become it's going to be less of a dividing line between homemade content and studio content. And we are almost there now. Uh, I mentioned Twitch earlier. Mm-hmm. Twitch does a lot of live streaming systems, and it is integrated right into telephones and such. Uh, my latest phone is built, designed for this feature that I can just hit play, and it'll broadcast whatever it is I'm looking at at any time. It'll save it as well to the system. But I can watch basically any type of content on Twitch, if like I want to watch a cooking show, it's there. If I want to watch MST3K or Rift Tracks, they have official channels that they are broadcasting nonstop on Twitch. I watch the United Kingdom's Parliament all the time because it, it, it because it's there and it's fascinating just to sit there and watch it as it unfolds live. So we're getting there. Mm-hmm. We're almost there. I realized this this shift was happening when I, I was the same night. I was excited that I could watch a new episode of Game of Thrones and a new episode of Angry Video Game Nerd. And I yes. didn't really see a distinction between the two. Exactly. Uh, as I said earlier, it's uh, with the podcast. They have certain days. This morning was basically my Saturday morning cartoons because I know a lot of YouTube content that releases over the night from Friday into Saturday morning. So I'll just sit down and watch all that. And I've been planning for it all week because it is scheduled that I know exactly when it would happen. Just like when game, I know when game of Thrones airs mm-hmm. or the other big one is critical role, which is a D and D type show. I know when to sit down and watch that as well when it happens live, or I could just catch the recordings of it later. It's it's really interesting, and I actually enjoy TV more now than I did back when I had to figure out what was on when and set a VCR. And it, it's there's less garbage in the middle. I only watch what I actually want to watch. Exactly, I I do love that little feature. And systems such as Hulu or Netflix, they've just made it a lot easier. It's like, well, there's nothing on. That's no longer a problem. There is always something I can find to have in the background or whenever at any moment. Mm-hmm. And now we have Disney Plus hitting in two months, and I know I saw the list of movies that are being released on that. And I'm like, yeah, all right, 
I'm down with that, especially because they also announced what cartoons will be available. And sure, the full run of all the Marvel cartoons, so the original X-Men from 19, uh, <clears throat> 1992, uh, all of DuckTales. Yeah, I'm down. Give me this now. <laughs> and Disney has so many things in their back catalog that a few people want to see, but it's not worth actually making a physical release or even putting on iTunes. But if, right. if they can stream it out for the people that actually want to see it, more, more power. better. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm actually hoping more for systems like that. Uh, there was a time about 10 years ago, Warner Brothers was like, okay, if we put these DVDs out to market, no one's going to buy them. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. And we know it's not going to happen. So you just ordered the DVD and we'll just do a printing of it, an individual printing of it. And there you go. I've got a couple movies that way. Me too. I have... I've got, I, I love that fantastic. The uh, Legion, uh, Legends of the Superheroes, that two part attempt to revive the Batman franchise in the 70s. Yep. Got it. It, yeah. it, it's, it's the goofiest thing ever, but it's, it's the only way you're going to get that content. But now that streaming has become a major deal, it's like, okay, well, it honestly costs us nothing to digitize it and just leave it on the same server as everything that's making money. Mm-hmm. So we can just do this at any time now. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that there are more movies that are becoming lost to time that were – they had VHS releases but no DVD releases, mm-hmm. no Blu-ray releases. They just don't exist anymore. I'm hoping that we can find more and more of those movies as time goes by just being added to streaming networks because it's like, well, we have it, so here it is. I hope so too, and I have some concerns that there's – like you said, it costs them nothing to put those on the same servers and stream them out. But the fact that it costs nothing and it makes sense doesn't always sit well with studio heads who are like, no. well, we, we can tease people and and we can take stuff away if it's not popular enough. And, and that's that's the poison pill. It's like, please don't go that route. And Disney will do that. Yeah, I know Disney will do that because Disney loves to have their vault. Mm-hmm. They love their vault. So they'll keep playing that little game of, you know, hey, watch it now before it's gone for six months and then it comes back but they don't tell you it's come back they just tell you when it's leaving (laughs) and i i go crazy when i see those articles float around facebook that say watch this stuff on netflix now before they take it away and it's some tv show that's sitting on my shelf on dvd and has been for the past decade and people are like i'm never going to see this again you you, you go to best buy and pay 20 bucks and and it's yours for life so i'm sorry what what are you bitching about but no it's like and it comes back it always comes back Please, people, just look for the stuff, enjoy it, and, and, and ask them to keep it available because it's – they don't make money unless we watch it. Right, right. And they know exactly what we're watching. So, I mean, there is a downside to that. But honestly, if it, if it gets me Riders of the Storm somewhere on a streaming network and I don't have to find a bootleg of it on YouTube because my VHS copy is worn out mm-hmm. – then I'll be happy. I will get that service right away. Thanks to streaming, I have new Star Trek and new MST3K when I was without both for almost 20 years. Yes. And it's like we went from years of no Star Trek to now four Star Treks, I think. At least. They haven't confirmed some more, but there's at least four. (laughs) Right. So, and 
it's like, yeah, this is all on streaming. It's like, okay, fine. I, I have this app now. I, mm-hmm. I subscribed. I watched this. And well, man, I, I really appreciate you chatting with me here. And I know you're a busy guy. Let me let you go. All right. But where can people catch up with you if they want to follow you on your adventures? Uh, you can follow me uh, at poppingthecherrywood.com. That's where that's the podcast website. And you can follow me on Twitter at Flanageddon. And from there, you can usually find when I'm streaming on Twitch because, like I said, I'm a Twitch addict. And that's also where you would be able to watch our show when we air it live uh, on Twitch every Sunday night, usually around 8 p.m. Sweet, sweet. 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I would Correct. assume. Okay. Getting my cheesesteaks there. I need to go. Yep. All right, man. Thank you so much. I would love to have you back anytime. It's we've been too long since you and I talked. It's true. And we basically can talk about anything because you and I, we are on the same page on a lot of things. <laughs> we certainly are. And when we're not, it's extra fun. Yep. All right. Okay. I will talk to you later. Okay. Take good care, man. I would like to thank Rob Flanagan for being my guest this week, and I would like to thank you for listening. I'm going to skip the geek resources part of the show today, but I will ask if you do have one you would like to suggest, email it to me at bossigpodcast at yahoo.com. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.